This is Laren Baker, and welcome to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today, we're chatting with Michelle Tam of Nom Nom Paleo. Dubbed the Martha Stewart of Paleo by the New York Times, Michelle started her blog in 2010 to chronicle her culinary adventures following a switch to a paleo approach to nutrition. Nom Nom Paleo and Michelle have grown to win multiple awards, including Best Food Blog by Sever Magazine. Michelle's first cookbook garnered a James Beard Award nomination, and following the publication of all her cookbooks, Michelle has had the honor of being a three-time New York Times bestselling author. Her most recent cookbook, Nom Nom Paleo, Let's Go, was released in January this year. I am so excited to welcome Michelle to the podcast. Hey, Michelle. Hi, I'm so excited to be here too. We were chatting before about how we are surprised we actually haven't met each other in real life because... We have so many interconnecting people and we're in the Bay Area and we do the same thing. <laughs> I know. I think this is like the biggest travesty of my week, <laughs> but also the best thing because we finally get to meet. It's so, yeah. Our, the world that we live in is so big and yet so small. So it's so crazy. I always start by asking, what's the first thing that you ever cooked? And about how old were you? Probably a microwave hot dog. It's probably oh, the first. I know, isn't that terrible? No, not but, at all. But like I come home from school and I think I, you know, I would microwave a hot dog for 45 seconds. And that would be my snack. And I was probably, I don't know, like a third grader. I don't know. I wasn't, I think people always think that I'm someone that it's always loved to cook. And the secret is I don't. Even now I don't love to cook. I love to eat. And if someone else is cooking for me, like all the better. Okay, I have so many things that <laughs> first of all, I'm impressed that you didn't blow up the hot dog because I was waiting for the blow up story. <laughs> uh, they always do explode, yeah. but I was like, that's not my problem to clean the microwave. <laughs> <laughs> I bet your parents thought I otherwise. <laughs> my, my mom was not happy with me as a child and teenager growing up. Well, that's so funny. But I'm also laughing about the liking to eat, but not necessarily cook thing. That was my mom personified. And I think that's actually a very common thing. <laughs> yeah, I think people think I love cooking. And I I mean, I think cooking is like anything, right? You have to work at it to be good at it. And I didn't want to work at it until I kind of had to. When I turned paleo, I was like, oh, I have to start cooking again, or I actually have to start cooking and making meals. That's when I was like, oh, I guess I have to do this. But now, like, people are like, don't you love cooking for a big crowd? I'm like, oh. no, I want, I want to be part of that party, and I'm going to hire someone to come and cook for us. But that's my worst nightmare is to have a huge party and cook for a million people. I totally know what you mean. And I think also one of the pitfalls of what we do is that nobody wants to invite us to things because yes. there's this pressure. And it's like they don't understand, like, no, I will eat whatever you give me and be absolutely content and grateful. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I, I, my sister is actually a chef. Like when people refer to me as a chef, I'm like, no, I'm not a chef. I'm a home cook, almost mm -hmm. like a home cook by accident. Um, whereas my sister is an actual chef. And so I go to her house all the time and eat her food. And she would always complain about how no one would cook for her. And now I have that problem like, no, but I'm not a chef. You Anybody can cook whatever you want. You can microwave a hot dog and I'll eat it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe you. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. Can you tell everybody a little bit more about yourself and what your life looked like before you embraced a paleo approach to nutrition? So I think I'm probably similar to most Asian Americans that live in the Bay Area that are like around my age, like I'm in my late 40s. Like you are just a total, like I was a total foodie. My husband and I would just eat our way around the Bay Area. When we would travel, we would just travel places to eat food. Like when we went to Italy, like I was like, oh, I've heard there's this really amazing like stand that serves Bolito Misto. So we have to go here. And Henry was like, well, what about like going to this museum or looking at this gallery? I'm like, I don't care. Like, (laughs) okay, fine. If you want to, we can make a detour. But it's all about this perfect sandwich or this perfect gelato stand or whatever. And that's, that's how we, we kind of lived our lives. In fact, I worked nights at um, the hospital as like as a hospital pharmacist, because that way I could totally schedule my meals because you'd work seven nights off and then I'd have seven nights where I'd have to work. But whenever I was off, I was like, oh, I can make all these reservations. And if I took one week off from work, I'd have three weeks off. I was like, oh, we can go on these amazing trips. Yeah. But I think working nights was slowly killing me because it is, it is, I mean, that's why the World Health Organization calls like night shift work a carcinogen because there is, it's, it's, it's not good for your health. And so I went paleo kind of by accident because my, we had two young kids. And I was working nights, but we were, my husband and I were totally out of shape. And so Henry was like, oh, we should buy these home exercise DVDs. So he bought P90X. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's like (laughs) on late night TV, they have these ads for P90X where you work out for 90 days. You have a before and after picture, which looks like a different person. (laughs) So I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll do kind of those, like, there's, there was a woman named Shalene Johnson who did a bunch of videos. And so I was like, I'll do her kind of 60 day or 90 day workout. And so when Henry was doing P90X, he started blogging about it. And he also was like kind of researching the people that were in the videos so he could like make his blog more interesting. And one of the people in the P90X videos was Mark Sisson, who's kind of like the, I guess, one of the godfathers of paleo. And so when he looked up what he was up to now, he's like, oh, he promotes this kind of primal way of eating, which is really interesting because it's just eating like real food and eating like red meat, which is something that we had totally cut out because I was basically making us eat mostly vegetarian and all whole grains. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like, this sounds so unhealthy. But he tried it and he like started doing CrossFit, was like deadlifting 300 pounds and he got a six pack. And he's like, like, hey, look at my 90 day, like before and after photo. I'm like, and he's like, let's look at yours. I'm like, (laughs) no, let's not. (laughs) I looked at mine and I was like, I think I look worse. Like, because I was working out so hard, but I think I was so hungry and I was just eating what I was normally eating, but I didn't feel better. And so I was like, maybe I'll try this paleo thing, even though it sounds against anything that I, you know, I'd ever read was healthy. And I'm the one that was a nutrition major. And I was like, hmm. And then I tried it and I felt so much better. And I think it's also because I never really paid attention to what I ate. Not not that I didn't pay attention, but I'd be like, okay, I'm eating this because I've been told that it's like the best tasting whatever. Right. Or I was eating something because I was told it was healthy. 
And so I would just eat it kind of mindlessly without actually thinking how I felt. But when I went paleo, I was like, like my bloating went away. All my GI stuff went away. I used to have canker sores all the time. They all went away. I had joint pain. Like I had like mommy thumb, which is something that can happen. Okay. What's that? So mommy thumb and my mom had it too. It's basically, they say it's from lifting your kid too much. And so you um, hurt the, like the tendon that goes down your thumb. But my mom had that. And she's like, no, it never goes away. And I was like, okay, I guess this is something that can happen. And it's just part of being a mom. But when I went paleo and I cut out certain foods and I was just kind of eating like whole foods and cooking my meals, like that went away. And there were just all these things that kind of went away that it seemed so miraculous to me. I was like, I feel like I've swallowed the red pill in the matrix and everybody (laughs) needs to know about this. And so apparently... It was very annoying because I was just telling everyone like, oh my gosh, you should learn about this paleo diet, blah, blah, blah. And so then one day my sister took me aside and was like, Michelle, I love you, but this is too much. You're being (laughs) super annoying. And so I was like, oh, okay. Well, then maybe I'll just start a food blog. And so if people want to find it, they can find it. And so that's kind of how it all started. But that was like 12 years ago. And I'm definitely way more laid back about it how I eat now and like I think but I think that's like anybody like if you're vegan or you're paleo or you do CrossFit or whatever like when you first find it and you find it so life-changing you just want to tell everybody Mm -hmm. because you feel like you've stumbled upon some secret but then you realize after you do it for a while that it's not super sustainable to be super strict and I think you also learn and grow as you age that you just can't be so crazy and rigid. So I always joke that I'm paleo on the internet, but in my real life, like I'm mostly paleo, but I'm 100% gluten-free because I think I discovered that I have a gluten intolerance. But I don't care if people are paleo. I just want people to prioritize cooking their own meals and to like actually be honest about how food makes them feel. Mm-hmm. Rather than following what they think they should be following. Right, right. Or or like eating things that they know doesn't make them feel good, but they just keep doing it. Like just be honest with yourself and say, no, this is not like me eating, you know, pizza every day. Tastes delicious, but it's actually, it doesn't make me feel great. And you can be honest and decide, I don't care. I'm going to keep doing this. But at least I know and acknowledge what I'm doing to myself. Or you can say, oh, you know, maybe I'll change and I'll do something else. But I think that I just think people don't realize how much food has an impact on how they feel, mm-hmm. um, even though it seems like it's so basic. But like, I think I'm a perfect example of that. Like I was a nutrition food science major in college. You know, I worked in a hospital. I was obsessed with food, but I never until I kind of tried paleo thought about how food affected me, you know, mm-hmm. and, and actually fuels how you feel. I sometimes joke that we treat our cars better than our bodies. We're very cognizant of what kind of fuel we're putting in. And when it comes to our food, it's it's very similar. But- no, I think that's a great analogy. But at the same time, I don't think you should be so crazy mm-hmm. I don't think you should be so obsessive about your food 
that it just makes you miserable and it stresses you out. Like, I think you have to try to find a healthy balance, which I, I think I hopefully have found for myself where I try to eat healthy most of the time. But then when I go travel or I go out to eat, like I will, I will eat the things that look good, but I also know which things I have to avoid because it'll just make me feel terrible. So I am a hundred percent gluten-free, but that's just kind of my cutoff. And then I don't eat as much rice as I would like to, because that does spike my blood sugar a lot. And I think I would be a type two diabetic if I just ate as much rice as I wanted to. Rice is good. I'm not going to lie. I could eat it plain, but I do know what you mean. I'm also curious though, when you go to Europe or let's say specifically Italy and there is mm -hmm. all the pasta, are you able to tolerate any of that pasta? Because I know other friends who are gluten intolerant or, or on that spectrum and they are able to tolerate the wheat there. You know, I haven't tried it because I think I'm, I just don't want to. Like I think- yeah. People are like, oh, no, like, you know, the wheat's supposed to be better in Europe. It doesn't have all, you know, it hasn't been, you know, there's there the heritage weed and the way that they process it is better. and They have no issues. But I, I think because I highly suspect that I'm celiac, um, I just don't want to risk it. Because I know how terrible I used to feel. And I just don't think it's worth it. And, you know, we did take a trip to Italy. And I actually took this food tour that was specifically like the, one of the tour, um, it was like run by a couple and the wife was actually celiac. Oh, so no I kidding. Knew that, yeah. So I knew that I could go on this tour with my family and I took my parents and my sister and her husband and they're totally not, you know, paleo or celiac. And I knew that we could go on this tour. I could eat things that, you know, I could tolerate <laughs> and then they could eat all of the gluten and they'd be okay. But I think. You know, I just felt so bad, or I remember back to how bad I used to feel, and I'm like, I don't really want to try that. And Italy is super celiac friendly; like they're they like they take it super serious, and they have places that are like certified celiac, and like you can go to a pizza place, and they will make the gluten free pizza in a whole different area. They bake it in different ovens; like they're super super strict about it. That's impressive. So Italy, so Italy was really a really great place for me to visit. And my younger son, I think is also celiac. Mm. And a lot of people are like, why, why haven't you actually gotten the test to see if you're celiac? I'm like, because that would mean me eating gluten for like two months straight, just so that I can damage my small intestine so that they can put a camera down and check that I have the damage. I'm like, no, it's okay. I'm pretty sure that this is what I have. I have the celiac gene. And, oh, okay. you know, when I've eaten it, and I have people in my family, like, it's funny, because you don't talk about, you know, GI stuff with like friends and family. Right. But then I think when I went paleo, and I started talking about this, like, like a bunch of my cousins came out of the woodwork and they're like, oh my gosh, we actually have celiac. And I was like, oh my gosh, really? I didn't think any Chinese people had celiac. <laughs> but like it totally runs in our family. My son and I both have the celiac gene. And even though you have the celiac gene, it might not get turned on. Mm -hmm. um, so it doesn't mean that you have celiac. But I definitely think that I turned it on because of how I ate in college. <laughs> Copious amount. You triggered it. <laughs> of gluten, yes. Interesting. So, yeah. 
Well, I'm glad you're not alone. It's good to have support and people who understand because <laughs> it's challenging. It is challenging. Okay. We have to talk about your book. I'm wearing green in honor of your your cover. <laughs> <laughs> um, I personally love this book. You have, this is volume three, but the recipes in here speak to the way that I eat and cook the flavors there. There's a lot of worldly and Asian flavors. There's, you know, but then again, you've got, I can see the California influence. So what was the thinking behind this book? So the thinking behind this book, we, you know, it takes us a long time to make our books because Henry and I kind of do everything. Henry, my husband, like photographs everything. He designs everything. He does all the cartoons. We shoot it in our house. Amazing. Um, Well, thank you. But it is definitely a process and it takes a long time. And Henry has like a a full-time job, like besides helping out with Nom Nom Paleo. And so we finally told our publisher, like, okay, we'll work on a third book. I think in the beginning, like at the end of 2019, I think we agreed to write a new book. And then pandemic happened. And we had kind of our, we had the recipes that we were going to, you know, shoot for this book. But then when pandemic happened, and we were kind of trapped in our homes, and we couldn't see anyone and we couldn't travel. And then there was all that racial reckoning with, you know, George Floyd, and then all of the, you know, anti Asian violence. I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna create the recipes that I miss and love. And I'm just going to make kind of a love letter to growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area. And that's kind of what I did. I I love it. If people love it, they love it. If they don't, that's too bad. (laughs) Well, I feel like these are the recipes that I want. So I felt like you spoke to me. Which were the recipes that were your must includes in this book? There were certain ones where I... Like I think the Don Tot, which is the like the Hong Kong egg tarts. It was just something I was like, you know what? I really miss these and I really love these. And even though there may be a lot of my readers who've never had one, I just want to recreate this because I miss it. And I can't go to dim sum. Even mm-hmm. even going to dim sum normally, I can't eat them because, you know, of the gluten. <laughs> so I was like, I'm gonna right. I'm gonna try to do this. And I was like, I wanna make like a like a Cantonese roast duck. Um, but kind of a simplified spatchcocked version. And so there's just a lot of, and a lot of dishes that my mom would make for me, like potstickers. Potstickers is actually an old recipe from the blog. But I was like, I want to put this in the book, you know, and like scallion pancakes, because I don't know what will happen with the internet, you know? And even though these recipes are on the blog, um, things change. Like I never even thought, this could have been my career like 15 years ago. Like this wasn't even something that existed. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to put in these things in a book. Like there are probably like 15 to 20% of like our greatest hits from the blogger in this book, but it's all stuff that I love to eat. And people are always like, Oh, but you know, don't you do that for all your rest, all your cookbooks. And I'm like, yes. But I think for the first two cookbooks, it was more like, what do you think most of my readers would want? Mm -hmm. And I also think this one, like, obviously, you want to serve your readership. But I was definitely very selfish, I think, in the recipes I created to really be what I wanted. (laughs) Well, I think you you deserve to do that. (laughs) Plus, you're serving 
Oh, you know, an, a segment of your audience, including myself, that like these, like the same foods that you like. So it's great. It's a win-win. Yeah, I mean, that's what we were hoping. We're like, you know what? We're going to totally lean into the hashtag very Asian. And that's, that's what we did. We did it before that hashtag became a thing. I love it. Okay, so when you mentioned Hong Kong egg tarts, I lit up because it was actually my next question. <laughs> your family's background is from Hong Kong, so your standards for an egg tart are very high. So what do you <laughs> makes a good egg tart? So, it, I mean, obviously, I think Golden Gate Bakery is probably the standard, but it's never open. Um, and so my son who can, my older son who can have gluten, anytime we're in Chinatown in San Francisco, he's always like, we have to go to Golden Gate Bakery and get those egg tarts. But every time we go, they seem to be on this two-week vacation, no matter when we show up. <laughs> Must <laughs> be nice. Care. I would love to I take time <laughs> um, that. But I think back when I would eat egg tarts, like the egg tart has to be just the right consistency you know so it can't be too kind of gummy and it can't be too gelatinous and it has to be just the right sweetness like not too sweet because all asian desserts can't be too sweet mm -hmm. and then the pastry part like there's normally two different kinds of kind of pastry Hong Kong egg tarts it's either like the puff pastry where it's super flaky yes or it could be kind of like a shortbready type one mm -hmm. and so it's impossible, I think, to do a paleo puff pastry, at least at home, or, or I'm also too lazy to do that. So I created more of a like a short pastry version that does hold its shape and it's made mostly out of cassava flour. But, you know, I tested these a bunch of times and I dropped them off at my parents' house, you know, like on their doorstep, like this is back before vaccines. And I remember them saying, you know what? These are not bad. Yeah. And Yay. Parents, that is like probably the highest praise they will ever give me um, because then it'll never be like, this is really good. It's like, not bad equals, it's if you, it's a curve. <laughs> yes, this is not bad. I'm like, oh, that's like an A. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I have also have to ask about the other classic Singapore noodles, which the name is oh. so misleading. So yes. Could you tell everyone about that dish? And about yeah, your so version. Singapore noodles is actually a Hong Kong dish mm -hmm. that, you know, is normally made with thin rice vermicelli and it has um, like a madras curry powder seasoning and it has, you know, julienne vegetables and tasu and like scrambled eggs. But it's totally not a Singapore dish. Like if you ask someone from Singapore, I mean, they probably serve it now because right. it's been around for like, you know, 30 years or 40 years or whatever. But it is just a Hong Kong dish that is almost a like what they imagine Singapore food would be like because Singapore does have kind of Chinese influence and Indian influence, mm -hmm. but it's a total Hong Kong dish. <laughs> and so, yeah. like, I, we would eat it because my parents would order it when we would go to Chinese restaurants, and it's at Chinese restaurants as opposed to Singapore restaurants. But it's it's called Singapore noodles, as you know, thought up by Chinese people. I know. I love it. I love it. And I also love that you made it with spaghetti squash. Is that right? Yes. So, yeah, so. yes. I, we use spaghetti squash because it, you know, has kind of that stringy, it, it becomes noodles when you cook it. Yeah. But it also has a naturally kind of yellow color. So like, even if you, your curry powder, the turmeric is not as orange as you'd like. It, it 
still looks orange because of orangey yellow because of the the spaghetti squash. Oh, I didn't even think about the color benefit. That is a good point. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't weigh you down. It won't spike your blood sugar as much as, you know, rice noodles. And I love rice noodles and I love like pho. But anytime I would eat a bowl of pho, I would like fall asleep afterwards. And I never, and I was like, oh, I don't know why this happens. And then I, I started checking my blood sugar just to kind of see how different foods affect me. And when I, I like two hours after I ate a bowl of pho, when your blood sugar should come back down to normal, mm. it was still like close to 200. And I'm like, oh, no wow. wonder I'm so sleepy. It's because, you know, my blood sugar is crazy high. But everybody's different. Like I have a friend who will eat the same foods as me and he has no issues in his blood sugar. I was like, let me check your blood sugar. (laughs) (laughs) And because he's such a good friend, he let me prick his finger and it was totally normal. And I'm like, I am so envious of your blood sugar management, but mine is not like that. Oh gosh. Isn't it crazy? And I think it can change too Mm -hmm. as we get older. I noticed that the other night I had a big bowl of ramen and I just was like, I hit a wall (laughs) right after. And that was the first time that actually happened to me. I'm like, what the heck? I'm so tired. I know. I know. Like as you age, your metabolism is not your friend. No. Oh, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of friends, your husband, I really have to touch upon this. You guys are such a power couple. I love I love the comic book styling of the book. It just makes it so fun. What are your tips as a power couple on working together? Well, we joke that I think we work so well together because for 12 years I worked nights. And so I wasn't seeing him very much because, like, every other week (laughs) I was working (laughs) at the hospital, right? Um, But then I was like, well, I don't know. With pandemic, we've been around each other a lot. And ever since I kind of quit my hospital job, I've seen him quite a bit. And I think. We work well together because we care about different things very passionately and we let the other person be in control of the thing that they really love. Like Mm -hmm. I care that the food tastes delicious Mm -hmm. um, and it's really easy and he cares that it looks delicious and he's worried about all the aesthetics. So I let him kind of decide whatever, but then he doesn't really dictate how I make the food, except he does say, okay, we can't have another Instant Pot stew because we can't have more brown food on the block. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll try to do something colorful and I'll make a salad (laughs) or something. I think we both like acts of service are our love language. And so like, I love when he helps me out on certain things and he likes when I help him out on certain things. So luckily I think that's kind of how we work well together yeah, and we we've known each other forever. Like we met as freshmen in college. So I almost feel like, I mean, in those situations, you either kind of grow together or unfortunately you can grow apart. apart. And luckily we kind of grew together. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> um, well, before we close things out, I have a super quick question. I like to read acknowledgements in books. Like after I wrote my book, last year, I realized how important acknowledgements are because I feel like it tells another part of the story. So I have to ask about Mindy Kaling because you wrote Ah. special thanks to Mindy Kaling for convincing our kids that we're somewhat cool. So what happened there? So, okay, Mindy Kaling is not my friend. Okay, like I think people are like, oh, how did this all happen? So literally 
She cooked from our first cookbook and showed everybody on her Instagram stories. And people were like, how'd you get the book to her? I'm like, I didn't get the book to her. She bought it and she cooked from it. And it was totally super nice and generous of her to do that. And I think I, I DM'd her. I'm like, oh my God, like, thank you. Like, this is amazing. We're such fans of yours. And radio silence, like she didn't respond to me. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, okay, whatever. That's totally cool. Like, And then I think a few months later, I get this email in my inbox and saying, hey, this is Mindy Kaling. And I'm having like, I'm throwing a party for my like a baby shower for my friend. And I'd like to give out your book. Um, oh, that's so nice. You know, as, as like a party gift. And I was like, is this for real? Like, is this a fake person? Right, right. Like, you're checking the email address. (laughs) Right. And the email address was kind of suspect. I was like, Mm. huh? And so then I DM'd her again. I was like, well, she didn't respond to me on Instagram. I'm going to DM her. And she's like, no, that's me. And I'm like, oh my God. I was like, I will send you whatever you want. Like, you know, as a thank you, because, you know, we're such fans and it was so nice of you to cook from our book. And so then that was it. And then when we were like thinking of blurbs, I was like, I wonder if I can ask her to write a blurb, you know, cause I know she liked her first book. And so then I emailed her and she like responded within like three minutes and she's like, yes, I'd love to. And I'm like, Oh my God. And so that was it. That is all. <laughs> that is <my laughs> only interact with her. But and you have social proof for your kids now. So yes, yeah, so they, they're awesome. like, Oh my God. And I'm like, yeah. So that's the only, yeah, that's, like you would think it would be, oh, she's my best friend or whatever. I'm like, nope, I, <laughs> I'm just a fan and I stalked her and and she replied and that's, that's it. <laughs> oh, well, either way, that's super fun. I love it. Okay, so I've got some closing questions before I let you go. What's something that you make when you're too tired to cook and you need an emergency go-to dinner? Always a stir fry, I think. It's always a clean your fridge out stir fry because they almost always have some sort of ground meat in a bowl in the fridge that's thawing and I always have wilty vegetables and I always have vegetables in my freezer. So it's almost always a stir fry. That is a good pick. What's the one recipe that you treasure the most? That's a hard one. I know. Like like one that, because my mom has not handed down any recipes to me. I have oh. had to kind of figure out how to kind of paleofy things because she's, she's one of those Asian mom cooks who's like, I don't know. I, I just add a little bit of this or that and every time it changes and so and she can't and she won't write anything down. And she won't write anything down. So I don't necessarily have a recipe from say my mom or my grandma like that. But mm-hmm. in terms of like back pocket recipes like that I always cook. I think like my all purpose stir fry sauce I always cook just because I can use it in a million different ways. You know, not just for stir fries, you can use it as a marinade, a salad dressing, a braise, a braising liquid, an instant pot. So that's probably my back pocket recipe. That's a good one to have. <laughs> Are you messy <laughs> or neat in the kitchen? Oh, so messy. I am super <laughs> messy, but I'm not dirty. And so I but understand that distinction. <laughs> <laughs> but that's something that I've worked on. So I do try to clean as I go now. But Henry is like super neat. And that is my tragic flaw is that I'm so messy. And I think he's always said, if I could change one thing about you, this is what I would change. I was like, I'm sorry. you got to take the whole package. And yeah. part of the package is me being messy. Yeah. The good and the bad. <laughs> yes. What's a good kitchen tip? 
I think you should just try to keep things simple and figure out which ingredients add umami mm-hmm. and use those things like all the time. Because just a little bit of umami and combining umami ingredients will just make things taste exponentially better. So throw in dried mushrooms, throw in fish sauce, mm-hmm. you know, coconut aminos, soy sauce, if you use soy sauce, tomato paste, those things just magically make things taste better. We have the very same philosophy. I agree 1000%. So every week I try to share five little things, something that made me smile. Is there anything that made you smile this week? Yeah, we've been watching Righteous Gemstones. And that show, it's it's a crazy show on HBO. And I've kind of found it by accident. But it is so funny. Oh, no, actually, what I think is even funnier is the, oh, my God, how come I can't remember her name? Allie, Allie Wong special. (gasps) Her newest one. Yes, it's so funny and so filthy. And she's so groundbreaking, I think, for Asian American women. Because most Asian American women think the way she does, they just don't say it out loud. Yeah. And I just, I just love her latest special. So that yeah. is probably the thing that I watched this week where I'm like, this is so filthy and funny. And I just love it. We watched it this week too. And it was hilarious. And I noticed that yeah. the women were laughing more than the men this time. Yeah. <laughs> we get it. Well, Michelle, I love talking to you today. Where can people find you and your latest book and all your books? So uh, our books are sold wherever books are sold. And you can find me on the internet at nomnompaleo.com. And I guess on all the socials at nomnompaleo. Awesome. Thank you, Michelle, for spending time with me today. No, it was my pleasure. I'm so glad you were able to join us on this episode of Kitchen Confidant. Thank you again to Michelle for joining us today. Even though I may not follow a paleo diet, Michelle's recipes and the flavors she showcases in Let's Go really call to me. And I know that they would be tempting to cooks and eaters of all kinds. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to review it and share it with a friend and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking.